right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. I am the associate pastor here at Chesapeake Campus. If you're new with us or if you're a regular tender, I want to say welcome to everybody. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. So glad you braved the rain. Even though it's not bright and sunny, we're getting all this rain. I'm told we need it. I don't know. I like sunshine, but we're grateful anyway for the rain. And hey, if you have your bulletins, we want to show, uh, we want you to, we want to highlight a few things here on your bulletin so you can be aware of these things. The first one you'll see is we are starting a backpack drive today. And what we're going to do is uh, last year and years past, what we've done is we've collected backpacks, excuse me, for local uh, schools around the area. And we distribute those through various different means that we have through our coastal connections. But what we're going to do this year, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to collect backpacks, but we're also just going to collect kind of loose school supplies, if you will, because we've partnered with Butts. Uh, Butts, what is it, Butts Road Primary School, Butts Elementary, what, Primary, right? It's the primary school across the bridge, okay? We've partnered with them this year. And so this year, we're going to collect the school supplies just kind of loosely and individually. You could pick up a card in the back that tells you exactly what they're looking for. And so the supplies that we collect are going to go straight to the school. If you bring a backpack full of stuff, that backpack is going to go to our main campus over in, in Yorktown, and we're going to distribute those through our, Engli- our, our ESOL programs and our food ministry and all those various means. We're going to distribute them that way. So if you want to do a backpack, you're welcome to a backpack. Just know that they're going to go to a different uh, distri- distribution uh, place. But if you want to bring in loose supplies, we're going to bless the school right down the road from us with those. You can find information on the tables out front as you leave this morning. The next thing on our bulletin there is Kingdom Marriage. This is a spiritual formation class that we are starting this Wednesday. So what we want you to do, anybody in here married? Raise your hand, raise your hand, okay, okay. Anybody in here want to be married? Hopefully the ones that are married still want to be married, all right? You can raise your hand again, that's fine, that's fine. Pastor, yep, there you go. All right, so Pastor's been advertising this for a few weeks, so it's for anybody that is married, uh, newly married, you've been married for a long time, you're thinking about getting married, you'd like to be married one day, we want you to come and be a part of this class with us on Wednesday nights at 6.30. It's going to go for six weeks. And we're just going to step into an understanding of what is God's purpose for marriage and get a true perspective of what God says marriage should be and learn how to uh, shape our marriages around his purposes. So that's at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. And if you want to be a part of this class, we would like you to sign up on the link provided here. This just helps helps us know how many resources we need, participant guides, things of that nature. Also, if you have child care needs, I think there's a spot to sign up there. We will have child care available for that class. So please sign up for that. And then the last thing on here, if you're part of the production and sound team, you have training today. So make sure you get with Pastor Hunter after this because you guys are going to get trained up and continue to do the great job that you do here. And then one more thing for our small group leaders. This is current small group leaders and the ones that are going to be stepping in for the fall. I want to meet with you just for about 15 minutes, we'll say over here in the foyer of the office area. All right, so I think that is all of our bulletin information and things that we want you to know about. And so this morning, what we're going to do, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip to James chapter 4. And we're going to continue in our series called Authentic. And as we get to chapter 4, we're going to see that James is going to start to warn us against worldliness. So what he's telling us here is he's showing us why we need to be careful when it comes to loving the world and the things of the world. But before we get into our passage here in chapter 4, I think it's good to be reminded of what James has been leading up to here. If you remember last week, uh, James chapter 3, we started talking about a few things. And and, and even this theme that we're going to see start to develop here started way back in chapter 1. If you remember in chapter 1 verse 13, 
James tells us, he says, let no one say when they is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. If you have a pen or if you've got a Bible app, whatever you need, highlight that, circle that, whatever you can do there, just highlight own desire right there. He says, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, death. so James is setting up, all the way back to the beginning of his book here, this uh, discussion on our desires and the need to be warned against ourselves. And then in chapter 3, last week, pastor preached on verses 14 and 15, it says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, so those two phrases right there, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, pay attention, circle them up, highlight them, whatever you want to do. He said, if you have these things in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is evil, unspiritual, and demonic. As pastor said last week, it's, it's what we would consider is polluted wisdom. It's not true wisdom that comes from God. And so as we've been talking about this, we're going to take these phrases today, and we're going to see how James expands on these in chapter 4. Because I believe it's this selfish desire, as we'll call it today, that it, it's within us. And it says that I deserve, and I need, and I want. Matter of fact, it's the natural tendency that all of humanity has. The prophet Jeremiah says in, in chapter 17, verse 9, he says, The human heart is most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. And he even goes on to say, who can know how truly bad it is? And I think that's just a reminder there, as he declares us, that man's heart, by nature... We are sinful, and it says that we are desperately wicked. So selfishness comes to each and every one of us very naturally. Matter of fact, if you think about it, when we're next door teaching our children, we, we want to teach them all about God's word, but in the midst of that, they're playing, they're having a good time, but we're teaching them, hey, why don't you take this toy, and why don't you share it with little Sally over here? Or why don't you let Timothy over here play with the, that toy for a while? And why do we have to teach sharing? Because we're naturally selfish, right? We have this tendency to, it's all about me. It's all about my desires. It's all about my wants and my needs and nobody else. And culture, I think, is believed, they're, they're teaching us to believe this. They're teaching us to be worldly-minded. And so what I want to do today is I want to read through our passage together. And then, uh, or excuse me, well, before we read through our passage together, what I want to do is I want to play a little game with you this morning. And so we're going we're to prove just how worldly we all are, okay? So when I was in college, I was a marketing major, and I thought one day I would go into advertising or something like that. So jingles and slogans and, and sayings, all this stuff kind of it just resonated in my head for some reason. And so I got a few here that I want to, uh, I want to see how well you can do on a little fill-in-the-blank pop quiz, okay? We're calling this our pop culture quiz. And so the first one's going to be a, a popular slogan of a restaurant. The second one's going to be a popular saying that's around right now. And the third one, um, it, it, it's a song. And so let's go to the first one here, and let's see if you guys, okay, good. We got our blanks up there. So the first one, can you fill in this blank? And when you know the answer, just yell it out. So it's, have it blank way. Have it your way. Yes, who says that? Burger King. Burger King, the creepy big guy with the head and the crown, right? He says it, have it your way. The second one, blank the king of blank castle. I'm the king of my castle. Yes, right there in the back. I'm the king of my castle. This is my house, right? We say that, or, or we've heard that said a lot. We might not say it ourselves, right? The third one, all right? Think of, this is for some of our older crowd, this will be a Frank Sinatra song. Or for the younger folks, think of the movie Sing and the little mouse in the movie, okay? Are you ready? Blank 
did it blank way. I did it my way. Yeah, very good. And so what we see is we have these slogans and sayings and songs all out there teaching us to be self-centered. It's teaching it. It's my way. It's all about what I want. It's all my desires. So all you guys did great. You just proved the need for this sermon this morning. So let's get into it. All right. So, so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and flip over to James chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. And so James tells us here. Starting in verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So right there starts out with a question. What's causing these quarrels, what's causing these fights? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so as James shifts here to a warning about worldliness, what I want to do is I want to kind of illustrate this for us. I have a little prop this morning. And so I want to illustrate what really uh, I think we have a tendency to do as we've been trained by this world. And so, so I have my little pedestal here, okay? I'm going to put my pedestal right here. And now today's episode is brought to you by the letter... Oh, no, I. I, it's an I. Yeah, so we have an eye right here. And what we like to do is we tend to take our pedestal and we put ourselves right upon it. So we put ourselves on this pedestal. We say, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. And this is what James is going to warn us about this morning. So before we continue on, let's, let's go ahead and pray together. And then we're going to dive into the rest of this message. So Father, Lord, this morning we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that... Even though we are desperately wicked, Lord, that, that you are merciful and gracious. And Father, today I pray that you would teach us what it means to, to not be friends with this world, but to be your friend. To teach us what it means to have a true relationship with you and, and to change the way that we think. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would just work through your word and your spirit in concert this morning. And just bless us in this time. Teach us what you want us to hear. And Lord, may you get all the glory in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we look at these first few verses here, James starts out with a, rhetorical, a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He says, is it not your passions that war within you? Or is it not these desires that you have? He says that you, you have these desires, so you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And so point number one, what I think he's driving out here is that selfish desire leads to conflicts and strife, selfish desire. And so what we would do is we would kind of define selfish desire as the problem here. We're going to say this is the problem that we need to work on right now. And really this selfish desire, I think, stems from uh, th this word we call worldliness. And right in the middle of worldliness, or a little bit closer to the end, we have this letter here. It's all about me, right? This is what the world would say. If you look at the dictionary definition... Worldliness says it's related to or devoted to the temporal world. And so the temporal world would be the things of this earth, the things that we are consumed with here. 
It says it involves a selfish passion and pleasure. Simply put, it is worshiping the world and things of this world. Now, I like the dictionary, but I also like to try to define things through what Scripture said. So let's see what Paul has to say about worldliness. And Paul, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he defines worldliness as spiritual immaturity. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people, underline this, who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He starts out with brothers and sisters. James is not talking to, to the people of the world, if you will. What he's talking to is a group of people that we would call, we would lump ourselves into this, who we would call the Christians. This is the church he's talking to. He's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as those who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. Verse 3, you are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Again, the prophet Jeremiah, he told us that our hearts are wicked. We are worldly. Who knows exactly how bad we are? And Paul follows up here just what James is telling us. Paul follows up and says that worldliness is spiritual immaturity. It's a group of believers here that he's talking to, and they were just content with kind of the basics of their faith, if you will. So they've put their faith in Christ they have fire assurance against hell. They know they're going to heaven, and that's just good enough. But God has something more for us, and we're going to talk about our purpose here in a little bit. God wants a deeper walk with us. And so we need to be in God's word each and every day. We need to be praying every single day. But these folks here that Paul is addressing, they were fine with just saying, okay, I've received salvation. I'm going to heaven. Now nothing needs to change in my life. And he says, the problem is you're looking just like the world around you. There is no distinction here between you and the world and those that live within it. And as I read this passage, there was a little conviction that came over, right? Because I started thinking, how many times am I the same way? How many times are we just like this Corinthian church? Maybe we are a little bit more mature than, than the folks he was talking to when it comes to our faith, but how many times do we strive after the things of this world? We put our hopes and our dreams into some sort of uh, dream car or vacation or the perfect job or whatever the case may be, and we lose sight of our true focus. You see, our inward desires, they ultimately, they lead to an outward expression that proves and shows that we look just like the world around us. Scripture also tells us, Paul also tells us, he, he likens worldliness to being ungodly or unholy. He says, if you continue down in chapter 3, verses 18 to 19, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks that you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Pastor talked about that last week, right? We know that there's true wisdom that comes from above. And what James, or what James, or excuse me, what Paul is getting at here, he's kind of telling us the same thing. He's saying that, look, the world thinks that we should be after all of these things. The world thinks that we should, should think this way. But Paul's saying, no, 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 what we need to do is we need to be foolish in the eyes of the world so that we can gain the true wisdom of God, so that we cannot be worldly, yet we can become a friend of God, as we talk about here later on. So worldliness, it ultimately does two things. It leads to isolation, and it leads us to broken relationships. Again, it's that selfish desire within us that leads to the conflicts and strifes, that leads to isolation and the terminating of relationships. And so our second point here, the second thing that James is pulling out and wants to pay attention to, 
talks about our purpose. So our purpose is always more important than our pursuits. Our purpose is always more important than our pursuits. Or, or said maybe in another way, well, we'd say this is kind of the cause of the problem. Our pursuits should never be greater than our purpose. Oftentimes, we, we, we flip-flop that, right? We go after all these things. We strive after this, hoping that this will give us purpose. And what we need to learn is that, no, we already have a purpose. And so all of our pursuits need to align with this purpose. And so let me ask this question then. What is the purpose of man? Well, that's a loaded question, right? Good. Think about that for a second. Let it marinate. All right. What is the purpose of man? The answer is behind you, I think. Nope, not yet. It's on my screen. There it is. Man's chief end is to glorify God. This is the whole purpose. This is why we exist. This is why God created us. He didn't create us for our pleasure. He created us for his pleasure. He created us because he wanted to have us. And so that's why we exist. Our mission here at Copestal, we say that we want to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. This is our purpose, right? We want to be just like Jesus in all that we do so that we can glorify God. The writer of Ecclesiastes as he kind of wrestles with the meaning of life here too, he gives us, he, he comes to a final conclusion because as he's wrestling through this question, he says, what is the meaning of life? And he starts listing out all these things and he says, well, this is meaningless and that's meaningless and all this is vanity and that's meaningless too. And he finally comes to a conclusion at the end of his book. In chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, it says, the end of the matter is this. All has been heard. So he's weighed all these options in his mind. He's gone through everything. He says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Right there, we're supposed to fear God and keep his commandments. We're supposed to have this awe and reverence of our Lord and Savior, and we're to do everything that he has commanded us to do right here in his books, in this book. He said, for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. God knows our hearts. He knows how desperately wicked we are. But there's opportunity for us to glorify God. And so our pursuits should always start to align with our purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. Now, James identifies in here another problem, if you will. He says our problem is we're selfish. He, he talks about the thing that leads to this problem is that we're pursuing after all these things. We don't quite understand our true purpose. And then he talks about prayer. He, he says you don't have because you don't ask. And so he says, really, there's a problem here with your prayer life. You're not seeking after that purpose in the right way. And so the sub-point I'd, I'd lead to today is this. He says in verse 2, he says, you do not, excuse me, at the end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And so the first sub-bullet would be this. We do not ask. We do not ask because there's a problem with our prayer life, or maybe the problem is our prayer life is non-existent. Maybe we don't take that time every day to, to come before the Lord and pray. Jesus tells us in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, he says this, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks to him it will be opened. Right? Jesus tells us that we should be seeking God. We should be asking for things from him. Now, mind you, this is not, Lord, give me that mansion on the hill and, and all those things. This is aligning ourselves with God's purpose and then asking in the right perspective. We're going to talk a little bit further about that. But uh, to kind of illustrate this, uh, how many of you have heard of this new Coke Starlight out there? Ooh, okay. Uh, how many of you like this new Coke Starlight? Oh. 
It's like Coke mixed with cotton candy and bubble gum. Like it, I tell you what, at the end, we're going to have a prayer team down front. We're going to pray that right out of you guys, okay? We're going to get rid of that today. Now, I'm an original Coke fan, not that Starlight mess. But here's the deal. We bought some Coke Starlight the other day, and there was a case of this in our refrigerator. Now, Bowen is our youngest. He's 10, and so we really have to monitor his sugar intake. So he knows this, though. He knows there's kind of some guidelines here. So if he comes to us and he says, hey, can I have a, a, a Coke or some sort of sugary thing? If it's not too late in the day, if he's not already had a lot of that stuff, and, and if he comes and asks, he knows more than likely he's going to get that, right? So he knows kind of the rules. He knows the, the guide that he should be under when he comes and asks. So the other day, he goes to the fridge. He puts his hand on the thing. He says, hey, Dad, can I have a Coke Starlight? And I went, help yourself. You know, that stuff is nasty. But I told him, sure, son, go ahead, help yourself to a Coke Starlight. And so he opens the fridge and grabs his Coke Starlight. Now, here's the deal. Bowen knew if he comes to me and he asks with the kind of the right guides that he's more than likely going to receive this thing from me. And that's the same thing with God. Jesus tells us right there, we need to ask God. We need to come to him in prayer. And so when we come to him in prayer, we miss out on things sometimes because we simply don't ask God for those things. We don't take the time to sit down and say, Lord, this is what's going on in my life, and I need some help here. Or, Lord, I, I just need to let, get this off my chest. And so also the, the question might become this then, too. I've heard this said before. Sometimes we don't ask because we say, well, you know, God already knows what I'm going to ask for, and he already knows the things that I need, so what's really the point? And I want to tell you this. That is true. God knows exactly what you need. God knows what you're going to ask for. But here's the point. This right here. It's a relationship. God wants to hear from you. The God that created the universe and everything within it, the God that created me and you and every hair or lack thereof on our head, he knows every single detail about us, and he wants to know, he wants to spend time with you. Even though he may know everything about you, he wants to spend time with you. Think about it this way. If you ask any doctor or psychologist or, or a marriage counselor or anybody that's been in a healthy marriage or relationship for a long time, what is the key to a healthy relationship? Nobody said money. Good. It's communication. Very good. It is communication, right? So when we come together with our spouse, when we, our significant other, even our friendships, the only way to have a true effective relationship is to communicate. And that's the same thing with God. God wants to hear our prayers he covets our prayers. He wants to spend time with us. And so he doesn't care that he already knows everything. He just wants to have that time with you. And yes, he wants to also bless you in that time. But more importantly, he just wants that time with you. And I know it's a little bit different because God is, it's a little bit different with this relationship because he's not tangibly right here that we can feel and touch and hear and all these things. But the point of the matter is the God of the universe, he wants to spend time with you. And so we should be asking Our worship team, they just led us in a song, and Pastor Hunter said, we want to get the gospel in your head over and over and over. We want you to be out of here, walk out of here with the gospel, just resonating in your mind. And, and I want to just kind of clear this up today. What is the gospel? Because as I've said, this is a relationship, the thing that I have with God, the thing that many of us that have put our trust in, Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ and made him our Savior. It is a relationship. And I want you to know today, if you don't have that relationship, that relationship is available for you right now. And all we have to do, the Bible makes it clear, he says, all you have to do is to ask for it. Believe in who Jesus is, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and he will come into your life immediately. And here's the gospel. The gospel is this. 
This is what we believe, that Jesus is God, that he came to this earth, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of us. He paid the price for your sins. He paid the price for all of my sins. And he did that willingly so that we could be forgiven. And then after three days, he rose himself bodily from the grave by his own power. He came back to life, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering every adversary out there that he ever had and that we will ever have so that we can have the hope of eternal life. That's what the gospel is. And the Bible says we put our faith in Jesus and trust in him, who he is and what he's done for us, then we can have this eternal friendship with God and it's available today. So before you leave, and I know I'm kind of on a side trail here, but before you leave today, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and you want to do that today, come down and see our prayer team. We want to work with you through that. We want to help you answer questions that you may have. But the most important thing is we want you to know that God loves you and he wants this relationship and it can begin today. Because as soon as you put your faith in him, he guarantees you with the Holy Spirit, and you will be his friend forever. And so right there, the first problem with our prayers is we don't ask. So if you need to ask Jesus into your life today, then do that. If you need to ask Jesus for something else that's going on in your life, you've already made that, started that relationship, then start asking today. But here's the second thing. Here's the second warning he gives. He says, the problem is we also come to the Lord. If we don't ask, well, then when we do ask... We ask for the wrong thing. Jesus tells us, he goes on in Matthew 7, he says, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, remember we're inherently evil, we're inherently wicked. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? Right, God knows what we need. God knows what's best for us, and sometimes we come to him and we ask for the wrong things. I, I remember a few years back, um, I heard that the Ford Bronco was going to get remade and come back out, right? And I was all excited. Yeah, I was a big fan back in the 80s and 90s of the Ford Bronco, and I wanted a Bronco so bad. And so I found out, man, they're coming out with this new Bronco. I'm going to get me one of these Broncos. And so in the meantime, I'd driven this 1998 Ford F-150. And this thing was getting kind of old. Ford was lagging on putting the Bronco out. And so I'm driving this thing, and I drove it into the dirt. I had a few of you in here work on that thing multiple times. Thank you so much for keeping that going for me. But here's the deal. Eventually, that truck wore out, and, and I missed that truck. But the blessing in all of this is this. At the time that truck was wearing out, I was also blessed. My parents said, hey, we got this 2012 Dodge Avenger. We'll sell it to you really cheap. I think I gave them like a dollar or something. But they said, we'll sell it really cheap. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so I got their car, and I basically gave away my truck because it was worth nothing by the end. But here's the blessing on all of this. I wanted so desperately for that Bronco, and I was not going before the Lord and saying, Lord, please just give me this Bronco. I think maybe a few times that might have slipped out. But most of the times, like, Lord, give me what I need. And the Lord did that. He blessed me. And I'm so grateful now because, look, with gas prices the way they are right now, like, I was grateful the other day that I was able to fill up this little car for, like, 80 bucks. And I'm like, $80? But I can't imagine what a truck would have been. And if you guys driving trucks right now, yeah, how much is your gas bill? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. But the point is this, like, even in God knew what I needed, he gave me what was best for me and best at that time in my life. I, th I have faith that one day he's going to bless me with that bron Bronco, but not right now. Uh, they'll have to get old and used, and I'll have to buy some cheap one broken down years later. But 
But it, the point of the matter is that James says we come and we ask and we ask for the wrong things. But God knows exactly what we want. So he's going to give us the thing that we need most in that situation. And then the third part of that, the thing that he says also when we come asking for the wrong things, is because we ask with wrong motivation. So that's your third sub-bullet there. We ask with wrong motivation. Matthew 6, verse 33, we, we've been doing this prayer study over the last few weeks. We just concluded last week. But we were going through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? That's verse 33. Uh, or excuse me, that's verse 10. But in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus tells us, he says, we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As we've been going through that prayer class, we, we started to dissecting the Lord's prayer, and we realized that at the beginning of that prayer, there, there's a need for us to acknowledge who God is and his character and his holiness and all these things, but then the next part leads us right into this understanding that we need to be asking and aligning ourselves on his kingdom and his will and his desires. All the things that he wants should be the things that we want, and so our motivation should be to align ourselves with him. Matter of fact, my favorite definition of prayer is the exchanging of wishes, or maybe said a different way, it's the replacing of desires. So as we come to God in prayer, when we ask him for things, we should be asking for the right things, hopefully, but we should also be asking with the right motivation. So as we come in prayer, James is telling us here, we need to be asking and actively seeking God's will and purpose for our life. And as we pray, ask for these things. And so as we've kind of dissected that little portion of the prayer, problem with our prayer and that problem stemming from sometimes we, we want to be selfish. We want to think about ourselves too much. He then moves on to verse 4. And he gets a little bit uh, dicey here. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so our problem is this. We're very selfish. Right? The problem is, is there that we, we are selfish. And the, the, the cause of that problem is, is that we're not looking to the right purpose. We're looking after all these pursuits and trying to find purpose in their pursuits, but we've not found our true purpose, to glorify God and to seek after his will. And he warns us here, he says, really, this is kind of the consequence of the problem, if you will. He says, friend of the world equals enemy of God. He tells us right there, he gives us word enmity, and that's a pretty strong word. It actually means hostile or a hatred. It's just the state of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. And so we make ourselves friends with the world. When we align ourselves with this world and its pleasure and its passions, what it's saying is that we have a hatred towards God. We, we then even become hostile towards God. James makes a point here that when we put our eyes on the passions of this world and, the, and start lusting after those things, we covet them and we, we have this burning desire for those things. He said it's, it's essentially we're taking our focus off of God. And he equates it to spiritual adultery. Right here he says in verse 4, you adulterous people. How many of us that are in a relationship right now think our relationship would end well? If every time we were with our spouse or our significant other, we had this desire for somebody else over here. 
Like we couldn't take our mind off this person. This would be my person. We couldn't take our mind off this, this young lady or this young man. We, all we're doing is while we're with our spouse over here, we're just lusting after that person. We're hoping and dreaming about having a relationship with that person. How many of you think that relationship that we have with, this, with our spouse or significant other, how many of you think that that would be a healthy relationship? Good, no hands. Very good. Right? Would that end? I don't think that relationship would end well. I think it would end, but it would not end well, right? And the same thing, we need to realize that this should be the same thing with God, right? As we're lusting after the things of the world, as we put our focus on ourselves and our pleasures and our passions, it's saying we're we're essentially, we're cheating on God in the presence. We're, 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 We're doing all we can to say we have this relationship, yet our focus and dreams and hope are over here on something else. So what we should do, we should have the same mindset when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We should put our focus on him. He says we got to be mindful that when we put our focus on this world, that we've taken our eyes off of him and we're essentially cheating on the Lord. And he goes on here, he says this though. Even though sometimes we have this attitude towards God where, okay, thank you, Lord, for saving us, but I really want to go and do my own thing. It says right here, also James tells us that God is jealous for us. He says in verse 5, Do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us? When we lust after the world and the things of this world, we essentially drive a wedge between us and God. We, we start to break that relationship, if you will. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Again, once we ask God to come into our life and be our Savior, he puts the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul goes on to say, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus paid that ultimate price for us so that we could have an eternal relationship with him. And James is giving warning, just like Paul is giving warning, that we need to make sure we're making God the priority of our life. In order to be a friend of God, we must separate ourselves from this world and all of his desires that it brings, remembering that we belong to him all because he first desired us. That's why we have a relationship to begin with. That's why we have an opportunity for an eternal life with him is because God wanted it. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about him and his desires. So James, he begins this chapter by asking two rhetorical questions. And the rhetoric is there really to pull out the problem. And we've identified that problem as as selfish ambition, uh, selfish motivation at its real root. And finally, he drives a solution of our issue. The solution of selfishness is humility. And humility, the job of humility is to bring us back into a proper perspective of our purpose. See, humility says we should turn away from ourselves and back towards Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And in verse 6, James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it, said God, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this will be our last bullet for the day. I think what James is getting at here is that repentance is always possible. We have this big problem. We're focused too much on ourselves. We're focused too much on the world around us and all its passions and desires. 
And there's a consequence to that problem. It, it takes us away from God. But James tells us right here that God gives more and more grace each and every day. We just sang that in one of our songs. Our sin is tremendous, right? But God has more grace and more mercy for us. And so I believe that repentance is always possible. If, if we look at that word repent, it means to turn away or to turn back. So I'm going this direction, and now I need to turn away and go back the other way. I want to give you a little story this morning. It's a sailing story about when I was younger. I remember when I was about 13, 14 years old, somewhere in that time frame, I went to Georgia to spend some time in the summer with my brother. And he lived about two miles from the Georgia-Florida line there in Georgia uh, on the East Coast near this little town called St. Mary's. And we decided one day that we're going to take his boat down to the St. Mary's River, and we're going to launch his boat, and we're going to sail through the St. Mary's River into the Cumberland River into the mouth of the Atlantic Ocean. That was the route we had to take. We decided we're going to do this. We're going to get in this little 18-foot boat, and we're going to go, and we're going to, we're going to conquer this, these two rivers right into the ocean. Then we're going to turn around and come back and do it all over again. So this, this one day, now here's the deal. I got to tell you this too. The St. Mary's River, it zigzags, right, towards the Cumberland River. It's always got a strong current pushing you back inland, and it's always, always got this strong wind pushing you back inland. Yet, we decided we're going to raise the sails, we're not going to motor, and we're going to sail this bad boy all through the rivers and into the ocean. And so we get in this boat, we launch this thing from a little a boat ramp, get on, get on the pier, into the boat, and we start sailing along, sailing along, and sailing is very slow. We look like we're going really fast, though, because the current's going the opposite direction of us, so we feel like we're flying. We're really not moving at all, but we feel like we are doing everything we can. We're some mighty sailing men, and so we're trimming the sheets, and we're tacking back and forth trying to fight this headwind, and we're doing all we can to sail this boat down the river and zigzag through the St. Mary's. And as we're sailing along, you know, here comes another sailboat, and they're motoring, and, and there they go, and here comes a motorboat, and they go on, and, and all these people keep passing us, yet we're determined. We're going to do this. We made this plan. We're not going to be defeated by these rivers and this current. We're going to sail this boat right out into the ocean. Well, I think sometimes we do the same thing in life. I think sometimes we decide that we're going to take control. Right? It, it's all about me. I put myself on the pedestal. And we make, our, we make our decision that we're going to make our own way. We're going to be the Lord and master of my own life. I can make this plan. I can do this. The world's telling me I should just get out there and do it, and nothing can stop me. I can conquer everything. But I think sometimes God has other plans. So I want to go ahead and call our worship team on up as I finish off my sailing story here. But to finish off our day, my brother and I, we had to surrender to defeat. We had to make the decision to go ahead and call it quits. It was getting pretty late. We knew it was going to start getting dark soon. So we decided, hey, maybe it's time we just go ahead and, and turn this boat around and sail back to the shore. Now, remember, we'd been sailing for probably about three hours now. The sad part was we could look back over our shoulders and still see the dock <laughs> maybe half a mile away. We hadn't gotten that far. And oh, by the way, here come the boats that had already passed us coming back in. I said, all right, it's time to turn around. And so we turned around. But here's the neat part. When we turned around, we had the current working with, we were working with the current. The wind was pushing us now. So we were able to sail along. And the sailing got easy. And it became steady. We weren't fighting everything. 
And this is one of the most enjoyable parts of our day. Matter of fact, the three hours it took us on this three-hour tour, it only took us 30 minutes to get back to the dock. And so as we get back, though, there was something else that happened. As we're pulling the boat up onto the trailer, we got to witness one of the most beautiful sunsets. And so it, it was a beautiful ending to what started out as a great day where we thought we were going to conquer the world. And I liken our relationship to the Lord uh, kind of with this same experience. You see, when we resist and push against God, I think life gets harder. It becomes more difficult. We, we are pushing against his force and his wind and all these other things. But when we decide to turn around, when we decide to repent, then I believe in that surrender, our life becomes more enjoyable. Life becomes more pleasant. I would say that life becomes easier in some ways, but we know as we've been going through this authentic series that, that trials will come. But we have the assurance of knowing as we hit these trials that God is right there with us working for us, working for our good. And so are you pushing against God and going with the things of this world, or are you surrendering to him and enjoying the life that he has set before you? So I want to just kind of wrap up with this. What, what do we do about this problem of selfish ambition and worldliness in our lives? James, I think he's, he's giving us what seems to very, be a very simple answer, yet I think it's a very difficult task sometimes. He says we need to turn around. We need to repent. We need to deny the invitation to be friends with the world and put our focus back on him. Stop lusting after the world's desires and all its passions and instead turn back to him and the invitation that he has for our lives. I think what we need to do ultimately, what James is telling us to do, is we have to take ourselves off the pedestal and leave room for God in our life. So my final thought, final question for you to ponder is this. Are you after the pleasures of the world or are you seeking the purpose of God? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful that you love us. We are so grateful that the reason we exist is because you wanted us to. And we are so grateful that our purpose is found in you. That we don't have to seek after this world and the, and the passions and pleasures that it throws before us. We don't have to pursue after these things to find our purpose. Our purpose has already been given. Our purpose is to glorify you. Our purpose is to worship you. Our purpose should then start to impact all of our pursuits. And Father, as we've gone through this series, we know that there's gonna be trials in this life. And they're already hard enough. So Lord, one of the biggest trials that we'll ever face is our own self. It's our own selfish desire. It's this temptation to become a friend of the world and make ourselves an enemy to you, to drive a wedge between us. And so Father, this morning, I pray that if that's us, if we've been living after the things of this life while calling ourselves a Christian, I pray that this morning that you would just reveal that sin in our heart. Show us where we have these, these passions that are not in align with your purpose. And teach us how to align ourselves with you and your kingdom and your will. And Father, for the one that's here this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't have that relationship already began or started, 
I pray today that they would begin that relationship. Today, they would ask. James tells us we don't have because we don't ask. And I pray today would be the day that they ask you to come into their life and be the Lord and Savior that they need to find purpose completely in you today. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would stop pushing against you. We would surrender, return back to you, and live out the life that you call us to. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.